Hey, what's up? I'm Jim Search, and welcome to Understanding Upstate. It's the podcast dedicated to exploring what makes upstate New York such a unique place. Each week, my co-host Rob Adler and I dive into a new upstate topic to better understand what's up upstate. And today, we are going to be talking about the iconic legend, the polarizing man who has created music and everything else in between has been a pop culture icon, Buffalo Zone, Rick James. But before we get into the super freak, I want to talk to you, Rob. Rob, how's it going? What is happening? Tell us everything. What's going on with you? It's going good. Uh, I was reading uh, some some reviews that Understanding Upstate uh, got today. So I'm in a particularly good mood just because uh, it seems like there's a few people that uh, like the show, which is which is nice, right? Yeah, that's dope, man. And, you know, I've definitely had uh, a couple of folks, you know, not leave reviews or anything, but like message me, uh, hit up my account and be like, hey, uh, I really dig what you're doing, really support the podcast, and I'm listening to it. So nice. And yeah, at the end, I think we're going to read uh, a couple of the uh, the reviews we've gotten so far, which is a reminder that if you guys rate and review our show, we may read it on air, but also throw in some upstate things you would like us to cover on the show, and we'll we'll see if we can work those into our uh, intense topic schedule. But I'm also in a really good mood because just a few days ago, Jim, you and I met an upstate, and in particular, a Binghamton, New York legend. What were we doing, and who, who did we meet? Oh my gosh. Well, we were so lucky to get to attend the uh, Wild Style 40th anniversary exhibition opening. For anyone who's not acquainted with the uh, the film Wild Style, what uh, what is it? Then if they're not familiar with it, get the fuck <laughs> off the show. Get the hell, turn it off now. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, please don't turn it off. Uh, in fact, tell everyone um, about it. So Wild Style is a hip hop cultural uh, piece, and it really highlighted uh, all the elements of hip hop. You know, you had the graffiti writers, you had the MCs, you had the break dancers. So you had this like... Uh, snapshot of what the beginnings of hip hop were. And it's like the first hip hop movie, right? Yeah. You know, definitely wild style is, you know, uh, shooting from the hip. One of, if not the first hip hop movie. Yep. Uh, so, and, you know, heralded as, you know, just a legend, like legendary film. When we were there, you know, there were so many like, Hip hop luminaries, uh, were in attendance, like Stretch of Stretch and Bobito fame was there, uh, Crazy Legs, Busy B, DJ Enough. So, like, you know, you had some real heavy hitters, pardon the pun. And also, what blew my mind is we were so lucky, uh, to meet. Charlie Ahern, who is the director of Wild Style, not only is he the director of the film, but he is also from Binghamton, New York, which, oh, you know, if we had the sound effects for the uh, <laughs> bombs dropping like Funk Flex, this would be a great time <laughs> to drop a bomb to that, baby. 
Yeah, uh, Charlie Ahern is a Binghamton native and is also the director of this film. And I think the writer and the producer. we got to get all the credits out there. Yes. <laughs> I was selling them short there. Um, and, a, and a painter as well. Yep. Um, he had some of his art up in uh, up in the gallery, which was really dope. It was so incredibly awesome to meet him and to... <laughs> first things out of my mouth was like, hey, man... I too am from Binghamton, New York. Like we didn't even talk about wild style. Like I've just told him how incredibly awesome it was to meet him and to see all the dope shit that he's done. And to know that he not only is from Binghamton, he's from the same side of town. Mm. I'm from, he is from the West side of Binghamton. Um, and yeah, it was just a really dope conversation. Very nice dude, man. Like he was, super friendly and like was engaging and just willing to talk. I mean, shit, we just talked about Binghamton. I was going to say like the second you mentioned you were from Binghamton, which was, as you mentioned, the first second, (laughs) but like his, (laughs) his, like he had people coming up to him all night. Like we, we waited to like talk with him. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The second you said Binghamton, like his face lit up and I was taking pictures. I have the, have this moment captured. Like he was, yeah. So excited to talk about Binghamton, uh, which is, that's my kind of guy. Yeah, dude. I mean, it's, it was, it's really dope. And, you know, it's funny, smallish world. Like, I know his niece, actually. And I like saw some post, uh, from, this other Instagram account, Stellar Human, very shout out to Stellar Human, a vintage clothes shop up in Binghamton. He mentioned Charlie Ahern and how he is from Binghamton, how he directed the film. And so I went on like an Instagram dive and then I found his, I found his niece who I was like, wait a minute, you know, Katie, how do you know this guy? (laughs) And she's like, well, that is my uncle. And I'm like, so that is how you know him. Um, so, you know, there was some connection there, which was, it's again, just a really small world. So again, to see somebody from where I'm from, do something like this and also to be able to highlight it. Like, you know, I feel like, you know, it's shows like this and like folks like at stellar human that are like big up in him. And I don't think, I think we need to do that more. I'm speaking on behalf of like upstate New York and specifically Binghamton highlighting people doing cool shit like this. Yeah. Cool shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, which like is relates to the movie wild style in a unique way. And that like that movie is all about highlighting people. Like there's so much dancing, so many different acts from the time, so many different, uh, graffiti writers too. Like there's so much, like the purpose of that movie is to highlight the specific people, but also the culture at large too. So it's, uh, and also the other thing I wanted to add to that too, is that like, the film also serves as a time capsule and mm. now those folks live forever. Yep. They live forever through that movie. So, you know, it's, it's to me, at least as a fan of the music and the fan of dope culture is that those folks have a place in time, right? Because like without movies like wild style, those are just going to live in memory, yeah. right? And they're going to live in story. You know, obviously those are very important things, but this is an indelible, tangible piece of work, right? Shit. You could argue this podcast is a tangible, <laughs> indelible piece of work that is commemorating and highlighting 
upstate New York. And in this moment for our show, we are talking about a iconic film and a very dope director and West Side native Charlie Ahern. So there it is, man. Well, as you mentioned the podcast, we're not here to talk about Charlie Ahern at length today. And I'll add yet. Right. Maybe we'll maybe we'll get there. Um, Today, we're going to talk about, as you mentioned, a super freak of a man. Rick James, uh, should we uh, should we get into what I think is going to be a lengthy conversation? Because there's a lot to cover, Jim. There's a lot. Buckle to cover. in. There's. I will. I will say this. He did not live a humdrum existence. Uh, he. This was not a mild mannered man. Uh, so, excuse me. All of that to be said, listeners. Y'all know what time it is. If you are tapped in listening to the life and times of Rick James, just know that we're going to get into some crazy shit because he did not follow any rules and he did not. I think it's safe to say that he didn't give a fuck. He he was not interested in giving a fuck in any way, shape or form. All right. Well, let's uh, let's get into it. Let's jump right in. Let's go. So, James Ambrose Johnson Jr., a lot of J's there, (laughs) better known to the world as Rick James, was an American singer-songwriter, musician, record producer, and bad motherfucker, born in Buffalo, New York, February 1st, 1948. He was one of eight children, okay? Rick's father left the family when Rick was 10 years old. His mother was a dancer for Catherine Dunham, who was a very popular dancer for the time. Um, she worked as a cleaner during the day, and then she ran numbers at night for the Buffalo crime family to earn a living. Now, safe to say that Rick's exposure to the underworld started at a very young age. Okay? Sure. So Rick would often go with his mother on a number of number collecting routes to bars and saw performers like Coltrane, Miles Davis, Etta James. So, you know, his exposure to music also at a very young age. There was uh, the the constellation of uh, uh, stars that were aligning for him to become who he was is pretty evident in what was happening, right? Now, this is fucking wild. Uh, Rick um, would talk about uh, losing his virginity at nine or ten years old to a 14-year-old local girl and claiming that this is where his kinky nature came in early. Nine? Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. You know, guys, I'm, we're just jumping right in. Okay. Um, some might say that that is not consensual. Sure. I'm here to say that as well. And I think on behalf of understanding upstate, we could see again the stars aligning for the super freak to become who he was. All that said, James, uh, attended Bennett High School and then dropped out and, uh, got into drugs again. To the shock of no one, um, he was arrested for burglary, and then due to his jail stint, he entered the Navy at roughly 14 years old, lying about his age to avoid the draft. 
this is all wow. before the, wow this is what yes wow uh rob the correct uh the correct response to this is wow and you know what's crazy to me is like and this isn't i think exclusive to rick because you have so many stories like shit my grandfather like served in world war ii and like you know, the conversations we, I had it with him about it, about how like that was, there was a time when you like could just lie about how old you were yeah. and there was no way to like check it and nobody gave a fuck. Like, yeah. I mean, they gave a fuck, but not enough of a fuck. Right. Like they were like, Oh, how old are you? And you say 18 and they're like, nah, that works. But also, like, like, you know, life was harder back then, too, or, like, by the time you were... You you look at pictures of a 30-year-old from, like, I don't know, the 40s or the 30s, and they look like they're 60, right? So, like, by the time you're 14, you're almost middle-aged, I I assume, in in today's today's years. And also, the fast life, the, like, Richard Pryor-esque life that, you know, uh, Rick was living... Yeah. Yeah, that's going to age you real quick, man. Like, fast life makes you look wildly older. So, yep. It would track that in the face. He's probably seen a couple hard winters or so and was like, all right, I'm ready to go get my fucking Navy on. So. He, uh, he becomes a drummer for local jazz groups in New York City. Okay. And then he fucks up his, like, cause he was in the reserves. He fucks up, like, his reserves obligations. And then at that point, he's ordered to go to Vietnam. Okay. Now, at this point, again, many of you are like, oh, he must have totally followed the rules. Wrong. Didn't do that. He flees to Toronto in 1964. Okay. Soon after his arrival there, um, he's attacked outside a club and a trio of men come to his aid. One of them is Levon Helm and was a, uh, at the time, a member of Ronnie Hawkins' backing band. And then they invite him to the show later that night. And then Rick just ends up on stage performing with the band, which wow. is also like, this is insane yeah no this uh this <laughs> like, part of the of the rick james journey <clears throat> well yeah it was all news to me and very uh surprising i'm gonna say this this is surprising a thousand more times but uh this is the first eh, the eighth surprising thing i don't know it's <laughs> yeah i feel like there is like a uh you know uh if we were to chronologically space these out you know who knows where everything lands but just like yep even these kind of just like whoa wait a minute you knew like i mean we're going to talk about some of the uh well-known musicians that he knew at the time but it's just like whoa you were connected with so-and-so like rick james's life is like directed by quentin tarantino yeah like that this is very much like i mean yeah oh, okay like, leave on helm alone one of the recognizes one of the best drummers ever he was in dylan's backing band the band like already that's right. a, a wild uh, but yeah it's gonna get uh even crazier when you mention some more names yeah like so let's let's go so 
in Toronto, uh, Rick made friends with, you know, these local musicians, you know, Neil Young and, you know, Joni Mitchell. Sure. Just these two, like, regular old iconic musicians going on, later to go on to be icons, uh, respectively. So there he is, just like, r- like running buddies with Neil Young and Joni Mitchell. From there, um, you know, the U.S. military, you know, they don't forget. <laughs> like, the, the, they, <laughs> right. this isn't an organization that, that, like, once you, like, commit to them or whatever, and you're just like, yeah, I'm down to, like, do this, right? Or I'm down to join. And then you, you can't just go, I was just kidding. Sure. Because they're like, actually, no. Um, <laughs> you said you were going to do it. So, um you you finna do, you finna come do this. So the US military is on his ass. Uh so Rick evades the authorities and goes under an assumed name of Ricky James Matthews. Okay. Great <laughs> name by the way. Um so Rick uh formed a band the Minor Birds. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. And from there they would record their music and then they made their way to Motown in Detroit. So when uh when he got to Detroit, Rick met, you know, met these uh met these musicians. I don't know if you guys ever heard of them, uh Marvin Gaye and Stevie Wonder. All these names, uh, you know, they're ringing they're ringing some bells, but I just I haven't really uh... Yeah. I hope it worked out, you know. I hope <laughs> they were able to uh salvage a career at some point. Um and for the listeners who are just like, "Do you not this is called tongue in cheek. Uh, <laughs> we are having some fun here. It's Marvin fucking gay and Stevie fucking wonder. Okay. So, and this is also like fun tidbit for me. I didn't know this. Uh, Stevie wonder was the one to suggest that Ricky James Matthews changed his name to Rick James. Interesting. Right. I had no, I had no clue. So, uh, Stevie was just like, yeah, man, that name is way too long. Let's just go with, uh, Rick James. So while recording for Motown, okay. So Rick is recording for Motown. This, uh, pesky legal issue with the military just keeps popping up and they're like, Hey, man, like we need you to, uh, uh, we, we, we want you back, dude. Yep. Uh, Motown, rightfully so, uh, said that, you know, you need to sort this out before we continue to record. Okay. Like, we, we can't be harboring a criminal, right? Like, we're not doing this. So James surrenders himself to the FBI. And in May 1966, he is sentenced to the Navy to do five months of hard labor for unauthorized absence. Oof. Now, he, yeah. Oof. Well, you know, Rick, you know, you're a bad motherfucker, but there's a way badder motherfucker out there, and that is the government. Uh, James escaped from the Brooklyn Navy brig, Naval Brig, after only six weeks of confinement. Can't keep him down. I wonder if this is like at the Navy Yard, which if you've been over there, uh, Jim and I both live in Brooklyn. It's a goddamn fortress. Like if there was one naval brig I wouldn't want to have to escape from, it would be (laughs) the Brooklyn Navy Brig. Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's it's pretty fucking massive and imposing. And there wasn't a Wegmans there back then either. There wasn't. 
Yeah, so he couldn't have grabbed a sub <laughs> or nothing, man. He was just like, fuck it, man. I'm out this bitch. But, you know, following another six months as a fugitive, he surrendered for the second time. <laughs> so, <Christ>. like, <laughs> this is great. So, uh, with the help of his mother, James found legal assistance from his cousin, hmm. future congressman Louis Stokes, for and another attorney, former Marine Captain John Bracken, uh, help uh, plead James's second court martial down from a potential five years hard labor to five months. The universe is like, you know what? We are not about to take uh, the best years of Rick's life right. uh, and put put that in hard labor. We need some music. He's had some lucky breaks. My God. I was going to say, man, yes, I agree. Um, I think all, you know, all encompassing. Um, he has definitely seen he's been thrown a bone or two uh, during this this time. Yep. Right. Because like fact that they didn't fucking kill him. Yeah. As yeah. he's just running out and escaping is a miracle and a th- grateful miracle. But yeah, he's just been he's been flying close to the sun and so far just being a bad motherfucker. Now, we'll get into his uh, solo career, okay? Uh, in 1973, uh, James signs with A&M Records, where his first single is under the name Rick James. Uh, My Mama was released in 1974, becoming a club hit in Europe. Okay. Now, in 76, he comes back to Buffalo, okay, mm-hmm. and forms the Stone City Band. Now, shortly thereafter, he recorded Get Up and Dance his second single to be released. So now he's out here working and he's come back home. Local roots love to see it in 77. James and the stone city band signs a contract to Motown's Gordy records imprint, where they begin recording the first album in New York city. Now in 78, James releases his solo or his debut solo album, Come and Get It, which is also fucking great. Uh, I have I have it on uh, on my playlist here. Uh, it includes the Stone City Band and the album launched to the, the top 20 hit You and I, which became the first number one R&B hit. Whoa. Awesome. Now, the album include the hit single Mary Jane, which we're going to talk about later. Mm hmm. And some controversy around that. Who'd have thought Rick would be embroiled in controversy? Uh, I, for one, am shocked. Um, it eventually goes on to sell 2 million copies pre-internet, pre-social media, pre-everything. Yep. James is out here just knocking down 2 million sold and launches his musical career to stardom. So now Rick is put into a position where it's like, Oh, so I have money and access to everything? (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) So, in 79, James' second album, Busting Out of L7, uh, followed the previous album's success, eventually selling 7 million copies. Okay. So, the third album, Fired Up, was released in 79, Going Gold. He is fucking killing it. Yeah. Jim, you and I both have albums out, and this is in the internet age. 
How, right. like, can you fathom selling 7 million copies bef- like just with word of mouth radio ads and like paper flyer? Like how, what do you take yeah. out an ad in the I, times? I don't You got to be know. a motherfucker, man. You got to be a real motherfucker to have 7 million copies fly out the door. I mean, and then your first being 2 million. Like it that's crazy. Yeah. And it speaks it speaks to the talent, right? Like, you know, I think like and just a little side note, I think like, you know, we and we'll obviously get to this towards the uh later down the line of the show, but like, you know, Rick uh, you know, like was you know made the butt of some jokes over time or whatever. I mean, you know, we'll talk about uh some of his TV appearances sure, later on in sure. the world. But like I think a lot of people forget that like he was a fucking talented dude and he was making really good fucking music. Yep. So I feel like it's important that uh that also be put into the conversation with him too. So anyway, back to uh the life and times of R. James. Uh around uh around the same uh time period, so seventy nine or so, uh 80 james launches his first headlining tour the fired up tour and agreed to invite a then up-and-coming artist i don't know you guys ever heard of prince and uh yes i have yeah personal local favorite for me as rick james is to buffalo prince is to minneapolis that's right and that is where where i am from as i've mentioned before and I didn't know this. I didn't know this. This is uh continue. Continue. You have my attention. <laughs> the naval brig bust out. You were just kind of like, eh, all right, whatever. Now it's <laughs> yeah. like, what? Neil Young. Prince? Yeah, fine. What? Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. Uh, I guess he was hanging with Stevie Wonder and Marvin Gaye. Oh, okay, sure. Whatever, dude. Um, what? Prince? <laughs> okay. Uh, so he invites a, uh, essentially the open mic, uh, open micer Prince, <laughs> as well as some singer, uh, Tina Marie, mm. again, wild, as his opening act. Now, the Fire It Up tour then leads to James developing a bitter rivalry with Prince after he accuses the musician of ripping off his act, (laughs) which this is touched on in uh, the documentary. I'm jumping ahead a little Mm -hmm. bit here, but in 2021, um, Bitchin', The Sound and Fury of Rick James, uh, directed by Sasa Jenkins, um, talks about the dust up, if you will, between Prince and Rick James. And, you know, look, you see the similarities, like, you know, they see the dress, the style of dress, not to say that Rick is right or Prince is wrong, but like they do look similar. Yeah. So I could see, I could see the case of, uh, of Rick, uh, pointing that out. Um, so. In 1983, James recorded the hit duet Ebony Eyes with singer Smokey Robinson, as well as a ballad, Tell Me What You Want, with an introduction by Billy D. Williams. So he is fucking, I mean, <laughs> just when you think that it's just like, man, Rick, you've just been working with uh, all these icons. He's like, hold my laced joint. Check this out. <laughs> watch watch what cool shit i'm about to pull off motherfucker hey smoky let's just go knock out this joint right 
Now, in 85, 85, James produces another hit for entertainer Eddie Murphy, Mm -hmm. the song Party All the Time, which, incredible song, by the way. (laughs) Love it. It is Eddie's probably finest musical work <laughs> definitely it's it's good for all the wrong reasons yeah right yeah yeah i i mean listen i say it i say it in jest because it's like he hit that pocket of just like all right i like it i know i shouldn't but i do but like i'm not i can't put this i up mean he t- probably got a house out of the whole deal like you know oh yeah I mean, and, you know, this is 85, man. Like, Eddie Murphy is on top of the fucking world in his own right, right? So... Let me let me ask you this. Um, comparing two non-musicians who inadvertently did make some music. Right. Would you prefer the musical stylings of Eddie Murphy or a one Shaquille O'Neal? Who do you think did it better? Ooh, wow. Man, that's that's tough to say, man. <laughs> I mean... And I only say that because it's like, I feel like it's like Shaq has a little bit more of a body mm. of work. And a little bit more of a body. He does. He is yeah. a 7'3", and <laughs> that is a big human being. Um, I personally, I got, oh, God, this is so hard. What a great <laughs> question. This is a great question. This is some real gotcha journalism right here. I got to, you know what? I got to say, I got to go with Eddie Murphy. Oh, Okay. And I say that only because, like, Eddie came out swinging, like, himself, Mm, right? mm. It was just him singing. Like, I feel like Shaq, there was enough feature work where I feel like Eddie was just like, nah, yo. Yeah. (laughs) Party all the time is me. Now, obviously, (laughs) like, he had had the strong guided hand of Rick uh, on the boards, but... What about you? Where where do you fall? I mean, that's a really good argument. Um, I was going to say Shaq, just for the nostalgia of it. We're like, I was a kid when that stuff was coming out. So like... Sure. You know, nostalgia is not the best explanation. So I like... I'm still going to say Shaq, but your response is better. <laughs> you have more... <laughs> there's more credibility to yours. Uh for, hey, for listen, sure. man, this is this is your it's your choice. Fair you know, if that's where you see it. That's where you see it, man. So, you know what I mean? Like, that's it's your world. <laughs> so. All right. Now that we got now that we got <laughs> yeah. that squared away, we got that taken care of. All right. And I didn't know this either. The same year Rick is cranking out hits with Eddie Murphy. He appeared in an episode of the A-Team with Isaac Hayes. Did they appear as themselves or are they playing characters? That I don't know. Either way, Rick James was a character, I'm sure. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, again, once we get once we get towards like the pop culture uh section of our of our the resurgence, sure, if you will, sure. we'll be able to really, I think, tap into the the character uh of him. Right. Yep. I mean, listen, and and this is kind of like jumping a little bit uh, into the wild shit or whatever. But like in the documentary Bitchin, uh, there's a story of how like Rick didn't like the contract terms that was that were given to him, and I forgot what record label it was. But he walks into 
somebody's office. I'm assuming the president, maybe. Rick didn't like the fucking contract, so he walked in, jumped up on the desk, threw the contract on the desk, and then pissed on it and left. That takes, like, pre-planning, right? Like, to time that out, to work out, you know? Like, yeah. that's thorough. That's thorough work. To that is premeditated. <laughs> fucking moves right there and some some of the most gangsta shit ever uh you know what i mean he could have just said no thank you jim correct me if i'm wrong but that seems like some buffalo energy (laughs) (laughs) you would be correct man Mm -hmm. in the times that i have uh been through buffalo um that is a uh that is a city of violence the queen city uh, is known for some real violent shit uh and not taking any shit in the same breath either yep so james's controversial and provocative image became troublesome sometimes these are wikipedia's words and they are correct. <laughs> Jim, if there were ever an understatement, <laughs> that is the, <laughs> the king of understatements. For sure. This has been the brand. I feel like he did not know anything else other than controversy and provocateur. So go mode. Let's go. That is him. So famous for promoting the use of marijuana live in concerts. During a time that a simple possession could lead to a long-term prison sentence, James was often threatened by cops in various cities that he would be arrested if he smoked marijuana on stage during performances. So not only was he like, fuck all y'all, but I'm going to do this and get paid. So I'm going to smoke my reefer on stage and I'm going to go crazy. I was reading he wouldn't just smoke weed on stage. He would then challenge the police to arrest him, like on mic. (laughs) He also had, uh, I forget what tour this was. This might have been the Street Sounds tour or the tour before it. But he had giant pillars that look like joints on stage. So like... Oh, wow. (laughs) Not just like... He's not just subtly lighting up a jazz cigarette. He's... <laughs> He's <Just a> cigarette. <laughs> He's about that life. <laughs> oh my vocal. god. I, again, if there were ever a series of words to describe Rick James, <laughs> it is about that life because he most assuredly was. Yes. So according to Kerry Gordy, most Motown executives erroneously thought that the latter song, Mary Jane, was a simple, cute love song for a girl, not knowing the song was about marijuana. What? They were fooled into this. What? Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. I, guys, also, like, the slang term, like... Yeah. Yeah, dude, that song came out late 70s, 78, right? Like... Come on. That's yeah. like, oh, that term's old hat by 78, right? Yeah. Like, what are we, yeah. Wh- how do we not know this? Uh, but we didn't. And <laughs> our bad. <laughs> so, and, not, and what's probably wild is that, like, the fact that he was probably smoking marijuana in the studio whilst recording. Sure. So, 
James's overtly sexual bravado made it tough for him to be a bigger mainstream act. Again, right. shocker. Uh, after the debut of the fledgling music video network MTV in August of 81, James tried to present the music video to Super Freak to the label only for the channel to turn it down. Now, I'll say this. In the next point I'm going to get into, I kind of ride with him on this. James accused the network of racism. Agreed. Yep. MTV denied this, stating the reason Super Freak was turned down by MTV was because they felt James's video was too vulgar for the channel. However, when younger artists such as Michael Jackson and Prince found fame on the channel, James accused the two singers of being tokens. In an 83 interview, this is great, he demanded that any black artist that has a video aired on MTV should take the video off the channel in protest. Now, James's rant was co-signed by David Bowie, and it's a really uh, great clip. Yeah, there's a real famous clip of, of this. Yep. Yep, saying that the uh, MTV VJ Mark Goodman uh, you know, blasting him about the lack of black artists being featured on the channel, despite the successes of Jackson and Prince. So it's like you have, yeah, like let's take those two out. Like there's so many more talented people. Now, MTV and BT, they avoid playing the video for Lucy's rap because of the graphic sexual content. However, James considers both networks hypocritical in light of them still playing provocative videos by artists such as Madonna. And Madonna was doing some real, for the time, hypersexualized shit. Yep. And that was totally cool. So what's the difference, right? Like, I mean, he ain't wrong, man. Yep. You know, he's a wild dude who was, you know, doing some over the top shit, but so were other people that were being on the air. So we can't say that it's it's our well, we have standards and well, no, you're you're knocking Madonna on the air, so why can't you put his shit out? So Right around that, that same time, Jim, like early 80s, 81, he had had his fifth studio album come out, uh, which was Street Songs, which is, I don't think I'm going out on a limb here. I think it was like his best selling album. It's the album that had Super Freak on it. Uh, it was a huge, yep. huge, massive album. It came at a time where he didn't totally view his musical career as a success. Where like you and I, you know, we've been talking like, First album does 7 million, second album does 20, but like he was n by the time he got to his fourth album, that album kind of flopped. It was a, a little bit more of a like a softer album. Sure. It was more more ballad based and it just didn't it didn't do great. And this fifth album was like basically like a in his eyes a last ditch effort. He's like, "All right, if this doesn't work out, I'm I'm doing something else." The kind of pivotal thing that helped him really craft this album was Buffalo, New York itself. Mm -hmm. He drew a lot of inspiration from Buffalo for this album. And after, again, the flop of Garden of Love, the fourth album uh, that he put out in 1980, he like he actually went back to Buffalo and this is what he said. I disguised myself just to walk around, James recalled. That's when I knew what I needed. Reality, the street, it was a revelation. Mm -hmm. 
and then the, some of the songs on Street Songs are specifically about Buffalo and living in Buffalo, the conditions of Buffalo, oh, and they're like funk bangers. You, If you just listen to the groove and you're not listening to the lyrics, you're not going to pick up on, on so much of that. But uh, there's a couple mm-hmm. different quotes from his keyboard player, Levi Ruffin Jr., who uh, in an interview... Uh, they were asking band members kind of just about different songs. And this is a, this is a quote about a song called ghetto life, which is about living in, in Buffalo. And this is what Ruffin said. That was straight Buffalo. That's how we lived in Buffalo tenement slums. Only way to have some fun picking on the winos. It could be cold and too damn funky. Okay. But it was our home. Rick had traveled the world, man. He did it all. He put a band together, not realizing that the band he put together was us, the guys from Buffalo, Mm. where he was born and raised. He searched and searched, did all kinds of bands, the Minor Birds, Neil Young, and stuff up in Canada, but it took him to come back to Buffalo to find that switch that he just couldn't find before. It just made sense. We were playing what we do in Buffalo. Man, that is some real shit, man, because like, you know, it, it's something where I feel like there are certain artists who need that, right? And like yeah. you find there, and I'm kind of paraphrasing what he's saying, but just like th- it's your roots. It's where you're going to find yourself. It's where you're going to find your best work is where you're from and you're going to tap into you know, just, uh, a, I think a different level in a more raw, authentic place. Yep. You know what I mean? And I think that's, that's very well put. I think he really nailed that with that. I've been listening to Rick James all day, which is to say I am right. I'm running at a high RPM right now. Like I've been, <laughs> whew. That's hilarious. I'm going to sleep well tonight. That's that's all I know. Yeah. But if you listen to those earlier albums, they're great. They are really well crafted. They're amazing tunes. But to me, even like song like Mary Jane, that sounds like a riff on like a Parliament Funkadelic George Clinton sound. Sure. Like yeah. the best riff on that ever. That song is a fucking solid groove. But it's... I don't want to say an imitation, but again, it's a riff on something that already exists. And he's either a lot of his stuff either kind of fits in that P funk category or in disco, right? Mm -hmm. You listen to street sounds and it's fusing both of those together, not either or, you know, song to song. It's both of those things together combined with lyrics about like Buffalo and his like lived experience. And that's how you get super freak, right? Like super freak is Rick James. Yes. Undeniably (laughs) in more ways than one. Um, That's, that's him, right? Where these, uh, these other albums, it's great music is good music, but it's not quite as distilled as those songs on uh, street Mm -hmm. songs are. And I've got another, another quote here from Ruffin uh, on an, another song off that album called Below the Funk, Pass the J. Uh, <laughs> I think that's about, I think that's about weed actually. <laughs> <laughs> but this is Ruffin again, talking, talking about this song. And again, he says, that's Buffalo, straight up Buffalo. He's writing about the hometown and he's telling the truth. Zero degrees. His mother raised eight kids by herself. I mean, everything he said in that was the truth. He just wanted everybody to hear how it was. And we had fun doing that. Mm. 
And then, yeah, I was actually able to find some quotes of Rick James talking about Buffalo in an episode of Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous of all places, which for uh, the younger listeners is like a proto MTV Cribs. Yes. Well put. Well put. They uh, visited him in his home just outside Buffalo. It was like a, a palace 20 to 30 minutes outside of Buffalo, but still he had a, a huge home upstate that he, that he kept. Uh, and this, this is what he had to say about Buffalo. Buffalo is my home and it always has been and it always will be. I'm much more comfortable there than I am in Hollywood or New York. You know, when I go to Buffalo, it's really a time in my life where I can really just chill out. It's a real nice place to be to know your roots are right next to you. And like in in the video, he's he's got an indoor pool, jacuzzi, horses, a recording mm-hmm. studio. His mom lives there. There's like a <laughs> there's a clip where he's swimming in the pool, hops out kisses his mom on the cheek uh a very a very wholesome moment for rick james love it love it which you know it's funny some of the most wildest people that live this like crazy rock star lifestyle will like have this very like affectionate relationship with their parents like their mothers yeah old dirty bastard was like mama cherry was like his everything and like he had such a Mm -hmm. great relationship with her so it's like it's interesting to see that connection of like ODB and Rick James doing a lot of the same shit. RIP to both. Indeed. Oh, and one, one tidbit from the recording of street songs, uh, Stevie wonder who, you know, he knew from his younger years plays harmonica on the album on Mr. Policeman, which is a, the song's a tribute to Bob Marley, Mm. which you can hear like, it's very like reggae influenced. And there's some quotes from the band members again from the same interview where the like the level of stardom and also like musical prowess he had reached didn't really hit them until Stevie Wonder was in the studio to play his harmonica part and Stevie was like do you know came up with a part and Rick James goes over and is like no I want you to do it my way. I'm sure respectfully. Sure. It sounded like he wasn't like yelling at Stevie Wonder, but he was like, oh, no, I want you to do what I came up with. And they're like, holy shit. Right. Rick is telling Stevie Wonder what to do. Yeah. That's a a wild place to be, man. Yeah. But that's where Rick James was at. Where again, like, kind of like you said earlier, you know, Rick James became the the butt of many a joke later on. But like again, he had a a huge place in in uh, in music and right? was respected. Like you know, yes. who would have the cojones to be like, "Hey, Stevie, don't do it like that. Do it the way I'm doing it." <laughs> Not only do I have the balls to do it, but I have like the talent to back up why I want you to. Right? Yep. The rest of my research, again, was kind of around just Rick and his relationship with Buffalo and other artists who have come out of Buffalo. Right. And really, since Rick James, the kind of the biggest group of artists to come out of Buffalo are... Griselda Records. Griselda Records. The number of artists. Benny the Butcher. Conway the Machine, West Side Gun. Keisha Plum. 
there's a lot of talent out of there. And there's actually a lot of there's a lot of quotes about from from those artists talking about Rick James and his impact in the area, but also like seeing Rick James maybe or maybe not getting into trouble uh, <laughs> when he was back in town. Yeah. Um, Love it. Let me read some quotes just to, again, to show you kind of the impact that he's had on people from, from Buffalo. Uh, this is from Conway, the machine. And <laughs> this is what he has to say about Rick. He was just one of them, them dudes that you didn't want to fuck with. He was known for everything you heard in his music, songs like Ghetto Life and all that shit. That's Rick James in a nutshell. And coming from where we come from, we all like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I believe it was Conway who was talking about, like, again, like, he would see Rick James pull up in the neighborhood with, like, furs and shit, a few cars, and he was there to engage in a habit or two. Score some dope. And West Side Gun was... At one point, I don't say I try to figure out if this is still uh, in plans for production, but West Side Gun at one point had been approached by Rick James's brother, who's a lawyer Mm -hmm. uh, and had been his attorney for a long time. But West Side Gun was approached by his brother to produce a uh, television series on Rick James. Which this was, I think that series when was announced with Universal in 2020, and in the interview that West Side Gun mentioned, it was like in 21. Which again doesn't mean it's not happening. Like, sure, project's taking a long time to develop, but I haven't heard anything. So you know, could be in development hell right now. They talk about Benny the Butcher acting in it, maybe like, oh, that'd be that'd be fucking incredible, man. And they were just talking about like. As we've discussed, some of the interview is like, oh, would it be a movie? You're like, no, you could. <laughs> he's lived such a life. Like, there's no way you can cram that into like a two hour movie. Like, there's just too, too much. Yeah. I mean, it would be like a six hour film, right? Yep. So I patiently wait for that and hope that that comes to fruition. That I think that'd be a really great look for upstate New York. It'd be a great look for Buffalo. Uh, and the legacy of Rick and, you know, to, who better to represent it than Griselda Records. And they also went around the world twice, uh, straight yeah. out of Buffalo, you know? So I think it'd be, it'd be a good look. It'd be a really dope look. I'll leave you with one more quote from West Side Gun. Yes. Uh, that's kind of speaking to a, a similar note that you are. Uh, again, this is West Side Gun on Rick James. We haven't had nobody pop for real since Rick James. Goo goo dolls, but we'll get into that later. That's my addendum. Uh, (laughs) Griselda is the hip-hop version of Rick James in our city. It was just legendary to have him come where we come from. People don't even come to Buffalo to perform, so just to have a legend there, it was like, wow. Yeah. I mean, Rick James and Griselda, like... And, you know, and the Goo Goo Dolls. And, and the Goo Goo Dolls. I, th- I thought they were from Canada until today. So, hey. There you go. But if we're talking <laughs> if we're talking like R&B, hip-hop, rap, like it's these two, right? You don't put Goo Goo Dolls on the level of Griselda and Rick James? You know, I want to, <laughs> but there's so many hoops. <laughs> there's, I feel like there's a lot of hoops I have to jump through to get uh, the old dolls involved uh, in, that, in that conversation. <laughs> we'll put out a poll to our listeners. We'll see what they what they think. Yeah, I do. Before we get into um, some of the wild 
wild times of the wild style to tie it in earlier of hey. Rick James. Uh, I have one question for you. Sure. Do you remember the first times you, you would have heard Rick James music? Because I know mine. When did you first become aware of Rick James? Yeah. You know, um, it was, you know, it's, it's interestingly enough, it was through MC Hammer, You Can't Touch This, mm. that mm -hmm. Super Freak came into my world because, like, you know, I didn't have that much exposure to Rick um, until... Yep the fucking worldwide you can't touch this touchdown and then there was the like conversation of just like well where did that beat come from and yeah. who really who originally wrote that song it's like oh this guy rick james and then from there like that was my so that was my first uh uh my first exposure to rick um what about what about you so the first time I ever heard Rick James was definitely super freak. And it was in elementary school gym class. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think we, we got, uh, we got like rollerblades at one point in elementary school. So they would play, you know, like just radio hits and stuff, but like super freak definitely played all the time. And in retrospect, I was listening to the lyrics today. And I was like, huh? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> huh. Mr. McDonald, I don't know about that choice. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I feel like that is what they call in the teacher world. I don't know if that's developmentally appropriate, <laughs> I believe is the term, the terminology that might be used in that situation. Uh, because, you know, it is about a very freaky girl, the kind you don't bring home to mother. Indeed. Indeed. And we know who that is. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. On that note, Let's get into the super freaky times. Let's talk about some wild shit, man, because we would not have the podcast integrity that we have if we didn't talk about the crazy shit that he was privy to uh, in his life. Um, and some of this we'll gloss over because, again, you could Google it, figure it out, but we'll definitely have to highlight it. Um, so as we've uh, alluded to, Rick abused drugs in his teens, particularly heroin. Uh, then started using cocaine in the 60s and then spiked in the 80s and then escalated to crack cocaine. Now, all these things are bad in, in their own lane, but all three <laughs> fuck in a. There was a, I read a, a quote of Louis Armstrong again. Louis who? Louis goddamn Armstrong. Yep. Uh, was talking to Rick James and was like, hey man, uh, might want to slow down. You're reminding me of my friend John Coltrane a little bit. Take it, take it easy, which is, I don't know if that advice was heeded, but uh, yeah. it wasn't like it was a, a, a secret either, right? Like sure. this is, yeah, he wasn't hiding it. No. His drug abuse was public knowledge. Every, everybody knew, right? He was heavily addicted to cocaine and later admitted to spending $7,000 a week on drugs for five years straight. Ooh. So. What is that in like today's dollars? That's. Let's just even get to the numbers, right? So that's seven <laughs> grand, right? 52 weeks a year. That's $364,000. A year, oh my God. that is $1.8 million he spent on drugs. But in like 
80s money. Right. So that's, yeah, who that's like five, I don't know, definitely more than $1.8 million. Five to 10 million, maybe. Good God. Good gravy, Marie. That is a lot. That is, for even for that time, man, $1.8 million. Jim, when you said that Rod Serling smoked how many packs of cigarettes a day, <laughs> I was surprised. This is... This is different. This is different. Yeah, this 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 hitting real different, man. My man was fucking just blowing through cash on drugs. Now, with that being said, his drug use led to major health problems. In 1984, he was hospitalized for being found unconscious at his house by a friend. And then in 98, he suffered a stroke after a blood vessel ruptured in his neck during a concert. Um, earlier that year, he had hip replacement surgery to repair the bone damage from jumping around on stage and substance abuse. So I was going to say how old he wasn't. He was 54. He had a hip replacement? Oh, sorry. Yeah, I'm not sure. Oh, no, no, no. The age of... He was 54 when he passed, but that hip replacement would have been... He'd have been, what, in his 40s when he got a hip replacement? Right. That's that's some hard living. That is a lot of hard living, man. Golly, golly gee. Uh, So then, all that to be said that, again... Uh, very much public knowledge of the legal issues that he had uh, gone through in the early 90s, uh, you know, certainly lends itself to a Law & Order SVU episode, which, you know, you're free to you're free to dive into that should you want to. Uh, one thing I can say in terms of his legal uh, issues, not only was he dabbling in criminal court, but also in civil court when he was a plaintiff on Judge Joe Brown. And it is everything that you would think it was. <laughs> it is entertaining. I'd be lying if I did say it wasn't. Bit of a twist. There's a twist in there. I was like, wow, I didn't see this going this direction. And in the case, he alleges that the defendant did not return his guitar and amp. And the defendant claims it was stolen from his car. And justice prevails because Rick won the case and was awarded approximately $5,000. They do the classic interview outside the courtroom. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then the second they get outside, they're shaking hands, or they're, they're buddies again, which may speak more to the production behind any reality TV court show, but, but they did resolve things very, very quickly. It ended on a happy note. And what's funny, though, is like, and Rick was doing it through the court, because it, it's very like it was, it's in it, even in the post uh, uh, interview, it's all like this passive aggressive, just like ah, oh, come on, you know, he's my little buddy, man. You know what? Ah, oh, he could he could <laughs> hang out with me if he wants, you know. And the defendant's gay, and at the end, Rick goes, "If I was homosexual, he'd be my wife." And, it's like, and then the guy's like, "Ah, uh, don't say that." Yeah, like <laughs> he literally says, uh, "Okay, Rick. Well, you know what? Why, why let's cut we, to commercial." Yeah, what are we doing here, right? And it, but just like again, but they so they reconcile, but it's also this very backhanded reconcile. Just like Rick's like, ah, "I forgive you, you fucking punk," right? Just like <laughs> that sort of shit. And yep. very much documented, and we'll get to the resurgence of Rick um, in early 2004. After you know years out of the spotlight, 
Uh, James uh, participated in the classic comedy sketch on The Chappelle Show uh, in the segment Charlie Murphy's True Hollywood Stories. Uh, he and Rick were friends and... You know, Murphy recounts several humorous stories of their experiences in the early 80s, uh, which, again, if you haven't seen it, go back in time and watch it. It's fucking hilarious. You, it's some of the best television, uh, best sketch comedy television ever. And they have Rick doing the interview throughout all of this, recounting it. Uh, you know, James is, uh, Rick James is played by a David Chappelle who uttered <laughs> the iconic catchphrase i'm rick james bitch and that (laughs) then took a life of its own for the next five years easily and the sketches were again punctuated by james uh explaining his past behavior as cocaine was a hell of a drug (laughs) (laughs) jeez i forgot about that yeah oh yeah 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 um, so then from there, uh, James enjoyed a career revival after his appearance on the show. Uh, he was supported by Tina Marie's tour of her album, La Donna, uh, and toured, uh, with her in 2000, May 2004, uh, playing with her at the KBLX Stone Soul Picnic, Pioneer Amphitheater in Haywood, California. Now, James gave his last public appearance and performance at the fourth annual BET Awards, June 29th, 2004. Uh, he performed a live rendition of Fire and Desire with Tina Marie. James called out a girl backstage who didn't recognize him by saying, Never mind who you thought I was. I'm Rick James, bitch. And then the crowd erupts and it gave James a standing ovation as he walks off stage. <laughs> Man, unbelievable. Now, uh, <laughs> fast forward the tape uh, in 2021. Uh, we talked about this earlier. Uh, James was the subject of the documentary Bitchin', The Sound and Fury of Rick James, directed by Sasha Jenkins. If you haven't seen it, it's definitely worth watching. It's really fucking great. So now the awards uh, that Rick accumulated over his career uh, in 1982, uh, the American Music Award for Favorite Soul and R&B Album, Street Songs. I uh, won an award for that. And then in 96, he was inducted into the Buffalo Music Hall of Fame. Jim, I looked at the Buffalo Music Hall of Fame page when I, I saw that he was inducted. I have a feeling I know what it's going to look like, but go on. There's a lot of musicians in there. Oh, good. However, the only one I recognize is Rick James. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, you know, yet, uh, there, they may be people we may find out. Fair enough. Uh, down the line. So he won a Grammy for, you can't touch this in 1991. He received a Grammy for it because presumably he has credits on that song. So he caught a Grammy for that. And then he was also nominated in 1982 for Super Freak and Street Songs. So Grammy nominee and Grammy Award winner. Now, unfortunately, on the morning, August 6th, 2004, James's caretaker found him dead in his Los Angeles home at the Oakwood Toluca Hills apartment complex just outside of Burbank. He was 56 years old which is very young to be dying. Yep. Um, however, given everything we've talked about, well, 
James died from pulmonary failure and cardiac failure associated with his various health conditions of diabetes, stroke, pacemaker, and heart attack. God damn. That is a tough fucking dude. I was going to say that's one hell of a trifecta, but I think there were four things there. Jeez. Yeah. This is this is some real like most people die from one, uh, but he ranked up <laughs> racked up uh, four of them. So following a public viewing of fa- uh, for fans, a private memorial was held at Forest Lawn Memorial Park in Hollywood Hills. A public funeral was held at St. John's Baptist Church in Buffalo, New York, on Saturday, August fourteenth, two thousand four, with an estimated six thousand fans attending the viewing. In cremation following the service, a free tribute concert took place later that day in Martin Luther King Park. His ashes were buried at Forest Lawn Cemetery in Buffalo. So, rest in peace to Rick James. That is the story of the Buffalo icon, titan of the music uh, world, Rick James. Well, it's safe to say, I think we all... Uh, better understand Rick James. Yes. But should we check in with some people that understand understanding upstate? Absolutely, man. I would love to share uh, a post that we got uh, from the account Upstated, and the title reads, These Guys Get Upstate New York. Five stars. Can't emphasize that enough. This person left five stars. As an upstate New Yorker, these guys get it. It's a land of endless cloudy days filled with rain and snow with forests of Gadsden flags flying proudly from the poorly maintained trailer parks dotting the landscape. This guy's a real author. It also, on occasion, will surprise you with a sunny day when you can appreciate the natural beauty and get some unique food. Keep them coming. Thank you, Upstated, uh, for dropping us, uh, dropping that line for us. Uh, Rob, uh, do we got uh, we got another one coming at us? We do, and I have a sneaking suspicion that this one may be for my mom. Okay, I have not confirmed this, but it might be. Mom Adler, we appreciate you nonetheless, man. The title does say "Podcast Junkie," but. The review uh, is called Upstanding Podcast. I love a pun. Guys, throw in as many puns as you can into these reviews. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. I already have a better understanding of Upstate after just the first episode. Quirky and fun. Understanding Upstate is yet another reason to look forward to Fridays. Wow. There we go. Mama Adler, thank you so much, (laughs) man. That's very thoughtful to say. Another reason to look forward to Friday. Not only do you get to go home from work for two days, but you get to listen to this podcast, too. Come on, man. There you go. Doesn't get better than that. What? Uh, Well, thank you. Uh, Thank you to everybody who wrote in and dropped us a line and showed us some love. And you could be like that as well, listener. If you go to our podcast uh, on iTunes, drop us a review, uh, give us five stars. Again, talk about how great we are. Tell us what we what, tell us what you want to hear about from upstate New York. And who knows? Could be covered. Could be covered. Speaking about things we're covering, what are we up to 
next week, Jen. Oh, man. Listen, Rob, what we are up to next week is we are, I'm just, I'm going to give the hint, right? It's, it's a hint that's going to be the easy one, right? You know, we've talked about speedies. You know, if you've tapped in, we, we've talked about delicious food that's come from upstate New York. What if I told you, listeners, <laughs> that there is a grocery store in upstate New York that not only could get you the pre-marinated cubed speedies that we were talking about, but also one of the most delicious fucking subs that you will ever have in your life. Now, I don't want to say that it's, you know, Danny's favorite or anything, <laughs> but you'll have to tap in next week to find out. I may have even referenced this place in this very episode. Okay. Which means you should just go back to the very start, listen all the way through so we get that listen so you can figure out what we're talking about next week. That's right, baby. While our listeners are waiting for next week's episode, what are some other things they could listen to? If you're waiting and you're like, damn, I got to find out what this fucking grocery store is. You could listen to Upstate Understandings. It's a comedy album that I recorded uh, in the Fulton Grand. It was produced by none other than the iconic Rob Adler. Uh, it is available on Bandcamp, uh, jimsearch.bandcamp.com. Go buy a copy of the album. And you know what, y'all? It is the holiday season. This makes for a great fucking gift. It shows someone in your life that, you know what? I love you so much. I want you to laugh all the time. I also want you to know about upstate New York. So go, uh, go give your loved one a copy of that album. And there's some merch over there, too. There's some great T-shirts. You want to be the talk of the office? Rock an Upstate Understandings t-shirt to work, man. That's all I can tell you. Um, so, yeah, go ahead. Do that. Um, again, uh, I'm also at Jim Search on all social media. JimSearchComedy.com is a good place to find my show dates and all the wild shit I got going on there, too. Now, Rob, let's say they finished listening to Upstate Understandings, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is there anything else that they could possibly listen to? Particularly if you're a fan of a one Rick James, I've got an album for you that I created that's funk go go disco inspired it's all instrumentals it's my album called new york sticky it's available at brokenfrequency.bandcamp.com and you know what we're gonna do this episode jim we keep throwing out these links verbally i'm just gonna put them in the show notes so just pop that little info button on the episode drop it down click those links and grab those albums for yourself or your friends it's the best way to spend your money, y'all. You work hard for your money. Send it to us so I can buy every variety of speedy marinade and uh, <laughs> we'll all be happier. Yeah, yeah. You know, we'll be well fed and then we'll have the energy to bring you another uh, episode of uh, Upstate Understandings. We're powered by speedies. Well, it's that time we sign off. Do you have a way to sign off today? I got, I got two. You got two? I got two. Man, I was trying to think of something off the cuff that was going to be like Rick James inspired. And... Well, I may have pre-planned. I may have pre-planned. Oh, did you? Okay. So, yeah, I'm trying to think. You know what? The best thing I can tell you is just come get it, man. Well, what I'm going to tell you is call me up so we can fire it up next week. Mm. Those are two Rick James songs. Yes. With that, yes. we will see you next week. Peace.
Understanding Upstate is a podcast hosted by Jim Search and Rob Adler, edited by Rob Adler, and music from Regal Monk.